Hey marketers, this is the Girls in Marketing podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. We are so excited to get started with the episode. Just before we do, we want to give you a little introduction to who we are and what we do. Girls in Marketing is an e-learning platform and online community. We are on a mission to bridge the digital skills gap and equalize gender seniority in marketing. Right, that's enough chat. Let's get into the episode. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to make a quick mention of Monday.com's annual online conference, The Elevate Show, which is happening on the 3rd of November. The day will be packed with expert talks about how to become super efficient and improve your workflow, as well as lots of product masterclasses, practical customer stories, insights from the Monday.com leadership team, and much more. It's completely free to sign up and attend both virtually and on demand. You can register for free. Just click the link in the show notes of this episode. Hello and welcome back to the Girls in Marketing podcast. I am delighted today to be welcomed by Rebecca Ben. It's so nice to have Rebecca in the studio. I originally met Rebecca back when we had the Social North event in Liverpool. It was quite a few months ago now, um, but it was a really enjoyable experience. We met, we clicked and I thought, you know what? She has so much experience. I'll get her in, get her on the podcast. She currently works as the head of external comms at Defence Digital, which is a part of the Ministry of Defence. So very excited to welcome her on today and to chat all about professional development, working in the public sector, along with everything else that comes with working in communications. So welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, it's so wonderful to see you again because yeah. obviously we first met at Social North. Yeah. So I, th- I feel like it's been quite a while, but it's not actually been that long has it it feels like it's been ages it was lovely to come back to Liverpool uh just I love the city I love the vibe it's brilliant so thanks so much for inviting me along well I thought it would obviously you are lovely so very welcome to have you here but also I think we haven't really ever had anyone from like public sector before um and we get a lot of people talking about public sector so I thought it would be interesting to chat about that yeah um but first I want to go into kind of your background so you originally have a undergraduate degree in public relations and design management yeah um so tell me a little bit about that where did that kind of initial love for doing that come from like why did you choose your degree and kind of you've you've stayed within that sort of realm and industry yeah. for the last you know 16 years and um, so tell me a little bit about that yeah it's it's a bit of a weird one because when I started um public relations wasn't really well known so when I said I'm going to go and do a degree in public relations a lot of people were very confused by that um my uni the University of Huddersfield I think was one of the second universities up north that got accredited by the CIPR um so I decided that I wanted to go into public relations and it is a, I think I touched this on social mm-hmm. north. It was because of a love for Absolutely Fabulous, yeah. which um, was a 90s sitcom for people that don't know it. Um, and although their portrayal of PR was very much a case of people drinking lots of champagne and doing events, what I really liked once I did some investigation was it was like kind of a bit of the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. So you had the writing bit, which I absolutely loved. There was a little bit around events, but also was that kind of liaising with newspapers and all of that element of it. So I just thought that'd be really well suited. Mm-hmm. I was very lucky with my degree. Um, it was so hands-on. We got to do a lot of work around crisis management, a lot of work around broadcasts and how we could really convey messages. So I think I was really lucky on having a course that was 
really hands-on as opposed to being really theoretical. Mm -hmm. So when I came into the world of work um, in comms, I could really hit the ground running. Yeah, that's nice to hear because I think so many people talk about degrees and how they're quite like not practical at all, like too theoretical. Because I think there's a nice balance for a lot of people, but also sometimes not. So it's good to hear that that, you know, was good for you I wonder how much that's changed since then obviously I didn't study a a degree at kind of public relations or um, marketing or anything like that but I would be interested to know kind of how much that's changed since so in terms of um degrees so I went back and I did my master's Mm -hmm. um about now two years ago it feels it feels I mean, with the pandemic, everything feels like it's been an extended time. And I made the decision to go back and do do a master's, mainly because I wanted a different string to my bow. I've been very much public relations, comm-centric, and I think having something that kind of gave me qualifications in marketing was really useful. Mm -hmm. So when I did my master's, I did it at um, Leeds Beckett. Again, it it was a very, it was more of a theoretical um and um practical I think for the for this time um and talking to a lot of other students I think that's the balance that people are trying to get because you need to have those vital vocational skills so when you go into the um business world you know what you do what what I liked about my course was the strategic part as well so it was kind of thinking and I think with comms in general and when you kind of move up the management ladder you really need to be thinking also about the kind of vocational bits, but around that management and being able to talk to other business people. So being able to hold your own in the C-suite. So it's it's been really important for me to be able to get that strategy piece Mm -hmm. along with some really practical marketing skills, which kind of equip me for marketing now in, you know, where we are now, because it's changed significantly since when I was at university. Mm -hmm. I suppose it comes to the point that you were mentioning, I think, um, around making sure that we've got those vocational courses. It doesn't necessarily need to be a degree or something, but mm-hmm. you need to make sure that you're up to speed with the latest things that are happening. Yeah. And, like, especially with social media, it changes so quickly. Mm-hmm. You need to make sure that you, you know, understand it. And I think part of that is a love for, mm-hmm. for marketing and for comms and that kind of gives you that impetus to learn a bit more yeah I think that's what we're all about with girls in marketing yeah. in particular is just encouraging people to do that I think people want to naturally do that but also sometimes they don't realize the importance of it especially mm. kind of in you know 2022 when so much has changed but it's interesting actually that you decided to go back and do a master's what was it about kind of the master's that you did that interested you initially because obviously you're saying you wanted to make sure you kind of carried on with that professional development but what was it about the particular kind of course and maybe the university that you know you made you want to go back to and do the master's yeah so the university was very simple because it was in Leeds okay. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I live in Leeds everything's based there and um, the course itself it's a very interesting story about the course actually because there were two courses that I had my eye on um, and this one was a digital strategy one, which I thought was absolutely perfect because it was a kind of that digital element of it. Um, but there was a massive exam on one of the modules and I was like, I can't do exams. I'm terrible. I just won't be able to do it. So I spoke to my, my other half and he was like saying to me, right, so this course, you absolutely love it. And I'm like, yep. He said, um, you think you do really, really well at it? I was like, yep. 
And the reason you're not going to do it is because of one exam. I was like, yep. (laughs) Relatable. (laughs) Uh, And he was like looking at me in that way that he looks at me as if to say, come on, really. And um, yeah, so I was really, um, I was really nervous about doing my master's I come from a family of academics Mm -hmm. most of my family have degrees masters doctorates so me just having my my postgrad so it's very traditional so it kind of seemed like a really natural thing to do would be to do uh, a a master's Mm -hmm. but you know I think the other kind of ways and routes you could go but for me I'm very traditional that's why I went down that route yeah um but again I was really apprehensive about what what it would be like going back after like so many years as well yeah but I would say that it was the best decision that I made Mm -hmm. it gave me a new sense of confidence in myself in terms of my abilities as a communicator I met a wonderful group of friends Mm -hmm. um social media girls big shout out to you (laughs) Uh, they know who they are um and it was just really really helping to ignite that passion in marketing which is an area where I never thought that I'd find my home Mm -hmm. it's always been very much stuck in public relations but I think now I've got a role of marketing too yeah that's so nice to hear I think people have a variety of experiences with you know undergrads and masters and stuff like that but I think what is unique in particular is that you did your kind of undergrads in the traditional way then went off got all your experience um, obviously found a love for everything that you were doing and then thought I'm going to go back and kind of reignite that we get so many people asking us like the best ways to do that you know and I think higher education might be the one for for everyone as you yeah. said you don't have to take that traditional route but it's nice to hear that the traditional route actually worked for you yeah and um, it would be great to talk a little bit so when you graduated university you started your career actually working in the media relations team yes. at ASDA yeah so quite different to something that you do now with mm-hmm. the public sector so talk to me a little bit about that experience what you learned from it and then we can kind of talk about the kind of transition over to public sector because there's a lot of people in our community that either work public sector or interested in it or kind of work public sector want to get into private sector or the other way around yeah. so I'd say that um yeah oh gosh I loved working at Asda it was um it was a really good foundation and I would say to anybody that's starting out in comms working in a press office is so important because it gives you some real communication skills in terms of being able to talk to journalists in terms of being able to deal with things at fast pace in in order to just be able to think on your feet and do things differently so when I worked at ASDA worked in the media relations I looked after community communications and also local stores mm-hmm. so like kind of all the charity events um and the event coordinators at own store which was just such a varied job like um one day we'd be talking about um the local football team buying jelly sweets and how it was like their lucky charms to um selling harry potter books at five pounds so it's just so varied mm-hmm. but it gave me that foundation of being able to think on my feet, mm-hmm. um, being able to talk to um, journalists confidently, 
yeah. been able to stand my ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very lucky to have a team of really supportive comms people in that role that helped to, to nurture me and, to, you know, to help me grow in um, the kind of comms person that I am now, I'd say. And of my time there, the, the one person that I will always remember is um, one of my first managers, Ed Watson, who's such um, a brilliant, brilliant communicator. And his flair and style is something that I like kind of remember now and like sometimes when I'm doing things I do think to myself well what would Ed do mm-hmm. <laughs> even now even though we've not worked together for so long mm-hmm. so it, it was great and when I decided to make the move to public sector um, it was around the time where I was looking for something different I was looking for a different challenge and I'd always liked the idea of working for the NHS but not in the traditional comms sense. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't really want to work in hospital comms. Nothing against that. It's just not something that I felt drawn to. I've spoken to some friends in those areas and I just thought, mm, I want to do something that's working still at a national level. Yeah. So um, I got the opportunity to work at what was then called the um, National Programme for IT. So it was all around like kind of... Um, this program for IT, bringing digital capabilities to the NHS. And it was just beginning. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of work that needed to be done, engaging with different partners, engaging with stakeholders in the community. And it was just like, perfect. I was like, I've got all of the experience working in the communities at this job. I could really transfer over. Mm-hmm. But I think the one thing, and I don't, a lot of people say about working in the public sector, you know, that it's really slow paced. And although I would agree that there's a lot of red tape and bureaucracy in the work that we do, it is really passionate. It's really, it's really great. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it is so fast paced. Mm-hmm. It really is in terms of the work that, that we do. And I think that sometimes, um, public sector people get a really bad rap which I think is really unfair yeah I think maybe fast paced in a different way absolutely because people just assume fast paced means like client deadlines and like being able to do things like you know put it on your desk at, at 9am on a Monday and being able to do it by like 5pm on the same Monday or something but I think fast paced in a different way in the way of like how you have grown to this position now where you're at you've been able to to get there like and, and I mean 16 years is a long time but actually you've still got that passion which is so lovely to yeah. like hear um so in terms of the change from public sec- from private sector to public sector what are the kind of main differences that you found between the two other than kind of like the fast pacedness budget yeah (laughs) oh budget um I think that when you're in the private sector you have to do a lot more with with very little Mm -hmm. and in doing that you become very creative I'd say um, in terms of that fast-paced piece as Mm -hmm. well um you've got a lot more stakeholders to deal with and and they are sometimes external and internal as well so you've got to be able to 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 kind of balance it Mm -hmm. I think that's the real trick in terms of when I worked in private sector and I have like kind of had a couple of different private sector roles over the the years. It's really been different because it's around um, making money. Mm -hmm. It's marketing for, you know, paid opportunities. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think when my first opportunity, the second opportunity came when I was working um, in the private sector again, it was just after I'd had, just after I'd had my, 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 my son, 
I was very apprehensive about what whether I'd be able to bring those skills to mm-hmm. bear. So it was um, uh, a project that I was asked to do um, when I was on mat leave of all times. Um, my husband, um, some of his business clients came um, to see the baby and they were talking about their marketing plans. <laughs> and I, being me, was just like, well, why are you doing it that way? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And, and my husband just looked, looked at me as if to say, I was like, what? And he's like going, you can actually monetize this. You're literally just giving them free information. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, no, they wouldn't want to do that. Um, And he said, would you be interested? So, yeah, I I did that for a bit, which was just really interesting for me because I just assumed I'm public sector. I can't do anything in the private sector anymore because it's like a a different kind of set of skills or something. So I was like really lucky for that kind of opportunity and I think that's kind of thinking about it now that's something that made me think oh maybe if I go back to uni I can get a bit more Mm -hmm. skills in there and you know work on it but it's it's all about transferable skills I think I think that's what people forget as well, the transferable skills. What I thought was funny then that you said is that you automatically just like had that like marketing comms brain. So many people say that, like I'm the same, but we were talking the other day in the office and we were saying, you know, when you see like something like a paid ad or you see like an out of home and you're like, I wonder, oh, that coffee's good. I wonder. And it's so funny that even though you were literally on maternity leave recovering from having a child, you were like, oh yeah you could do this or you can do that well, I was just thinking in the way that, I can't even remember what it was now but in terms of how they were marketing themselves I was just like you're missing a completely different trick because you could do it this way or you mm-hmm. could do it that way you know and you, you know then you get the thing of like I'll bring the copy over or something like yeah. that it's like my husband he works in marketing as well but it's kind of a different niche area it's more mm-hmm. on the software side so it's more b2b so from that kind of commercial side we, we kind of um we do talk about marketing mm-hmm. a lot yeah. and public relations and, you know, budget wars in terms of sometimes marketing seems to have more spend and, mm-hmm. you know, public relations just sometimes feel like a bit of a poor relation um, in some cases. So mm-hmm. it, it's really good to kind of be able to bounce ideas off with my husband as well. Yeah, that's nice. My partner doesn't work in marketing. He works in development, so I think, like software development. So I think he kind of understands marketing, which is nice to, to talk yeah, about definitely. it. But I'm sure you will have got plenty of ideas in the past with your husband oh, as well. Oh, do you know what? We we do f- spend so much time talking about things like that. And um, although he say that, oh, you know, I can't really help you because what we do is completely different. I think with everything, there's those niche bits that do actually, you know, work together well. Yeah, and crossover as well. Yeah. Like, I know a lot of people kind of segment things into boxes. You know, we had our internship program recently and I did a piece on kind of brand versus agency and like, where do you want to be? And I think that things do cross over, you know, public sector, private sector, brand, agency it all kind of you're still doing similar things just in different ways you know marketing and digital marketing is very similar across kind of industry and channels it's just Mm -hmm. what you have available to you and how you make the most of that absolutely um I'd love to kind of move on a little bit and talk more about constructing communication strategies and because I think you talked a lot in your Social North talk about kind of storytelling and how you love that aspect of it. And 
people often think that data and communications is quite dry. And uh, we had Thierry Nagusagori on. Um, it was quite a few episodes ago now, actually. But he is amazing with data and stuff like love that. Him. <laughs> and he 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 talks a lot about data and storytelling and stuff. And I love the way you talked about it in Social North. So I'd love to dive in a little bit more about kind of understanding what what's important to you with communication strategies and campaigns yeah so on the data side I think it kind of um we didn't really talk about everything that I've done which mm-hmm. is like um so I, I after working in um Connective Health for a while I moved back into the press office but this time within um like kind of health data okay and that's kind of where my love for data came from mm-hmm. because it was it was seeing the data and being able to use that to tell a story. And the thing is, when you use data to tell a story, it's kind of insight bat. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of works in everything that we're doing is that we need to make sure that any story that we tell is going to resonate with our stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And the best way to do that is to to ask them or to use that research or to use that data that's coming in. Mm-hmm. So if we do a piece of research or we find out that, you know, um, people like to hear stories that involve, you know, animals, specifically dogs, which we did, I don't even know how we found out the information. But then we know that if we have any stories that have that kind of ha- angle, which we did in um, my other job, which was around dog bites, mm-hmm we would then try and package that story together. Mm -hmm. We talk about dog bites. We talk about, you know, in terms of ensuring that people are looking after their pets and showing that they're not, you know, you know, not not putting pets in the way of, of, of being in that position that they could bite someone. So, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of leash, having on the lead and, you know, working with the dog's home and dog's trust on, on those kind of stories, which work well. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, from from a data point of view, it is such a untapped resource sometimes. I think if you can scroll through your data, you can find out some really interesting facts and stats. And then, you know, just replay that back to your audiences because they are really interested. Yeah, and kind of pulling that out as well to make something of it as well because sometimes you can look at, like, you know, it's it, data isn't just like Excel sheets and stuff like that. I mean, it is on the surface, but when you kind of dig deeper and kind of yeah. understand that and the reasons behind it, which I always think is really interesting, data isn't something that I've been too exposed to in terms of like comms and stuff like that. But I always find it really interesting how people can kind of pick out certain information within data to create a whole campaign and a whole story around yeah. it. So I think with data, like you said, I think when you're confronted with an Excel spreadsheet, Mm -hmm. a lot of people will just be like, oh, pivot tables. But I think nowadays there's ways of being able to represent data in a more visual way. Mm -hmm. And I love the use of like digital tools where you can put your data in and then you can press a button and you can see where you fare in other areas. And that works really well in terms of the data packages and data work that that you know places like my old place I used to work NHS Digital do so you know um, apps that you can put in your health information to find out your BMI Mm -hmm. and see where like you are on average with everybody else Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting thing because you can then use that and use that data and say what what am I going to do Mm -hmm. so if you look at it and it like says to you right you could do with losing some weight Mm -hmm. it says well how can you do that what can you you know you could do this by 
trying to work some more or trying to walk some more, trying to do this, trying to do that. So it's just little things that you can do and you can tick off and go, oh, I can do that, but I can mm-hmm. do that. But it's that empowerment, isn't it? Yeah. And I, and I love that. And I love the fact that, that data helps to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the things that I loved in my old role is that that use of data was really empowering people to take ownership of themselves and to do things differently. Like Couch to 5K mm-hmm. is just a great example of that. Yeah, I've done that actually. I yeah. did it a few, I think it was like maybe a few years ago now. I remember when that came out and it was huge and everyone was like, oh, Couch to 5K. I, I think I spoke to like my dad at one point and he was like, oh, I'm doing the Couch to 5K. And then that really got him into like running, which is cool. And then now he still does like park runs and he yeah. doesn't, he's not like a massive runner in terms of marathons and stuff, but that like kind of changed the way he like lived his life which is crazy yeah. um, and I think that the way that campaign was done and displayed was particularly interesting because running isn't necessarily something that everyone would say oh I'm a runner I definitely wouldn't say I'm a runner um, but like you wouldn't as a label there's not a lot of people that would say I am this or I am that whereas I think that made it a lot more accessible oh definitely um so I I would be curious to know um where that kind of came from like the the data and stuff like that I'm not sure that you would know that in particular but Um, yeah I I think that the it's kind of NHS choices at the time was a Mm -hmm. website that ran it so they would compile a lot of that data together and then um when Couch to 5K first started, I think this is like when it was NHS Choices, they compiled a lot of data. And then when it was redone again Mm -hmm. with new voices and everything. So with the original Couch to 5K, there was a lady on there and like there was like this massive um, like following for her because of her voice and everything. So almost like she was really cool. So (laughs) I can't remember, there's a whole backstory of it. So when it then changed to this package that, that we we now know and love, mm-hmm. they used a lot of the data that they got from the first iteration mm-hmm. into the next iteration, you know, in terms of, you know, the way it looks and feels. And then I think it's about testing as well, mm-hmm. making sure that you're going in, that you're talking to your focus groups, that you're, you're, you're kind of showing them your base idea, getting your fe- their feedback and then making changes to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. What advice then would you give to kind of any brands that are looking to improve or like better their, you know, stories and their data and how they use their data to tell stories? Because I know that there's so many brands that maybe have quite a lot of data, but they don't really know how to display that. I think it's just, I I, I say the same thing. You've got to start, um, first of all, with your objective in terms of what it is that you want to do. And I think if you understand as a business, what are those areas that you want to communicate? Mm -hmm. You can then look for the stories that resonate with those areas. And I think sometimes people get too fixated on one bit or the other bit. And I think Mm -hmm. it is so easy when you think about, let's say, right, I want to appeal to women and I want to get them to do X, Y, Z. You know, you could then think, right, we should have examples in our business of how that works. Mm -hmm. I think like kind of in my role at the moment, what we're doing is we're trying to promote um, the digital, so kind of digital skills, getting more people to to come and work for us Mm -hmm. that have those right skills. And it's like, how can we do that? And, you know, the the one thing is to kind of go back, have a look at the data that we've got, look at the, the people that we've got within our business, you know, that have been with us for maybe two years, and then get them to talk about their experiences. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of that 
for the way we're doing that. So it's kind of coming up with the objective of what we want to do and then looking within the business of where that data is Mm -hmm. and then turning that into the story. Yeah, that's nice. I think it's nice that people uh, have have had that impact and they're, you know, going to tell their stories and stuff because I think that is one way in the public sector in particular that you can really utilise, like, stories of of people like I think people relate to people don't they so I think if you were to be in that position and you needed something I think it's always to look to the people who've been impacted most and in your case it's maybe people who've worked in a position for however many years whereas sometimes if it was different types of public sector you go out and you kind of understand okay who's been impacted like you said what are our objectives and how can we let them tell their story as well A lot of that was, I've, I found it with the pandemic, you know, actually getting people to want to come on, get vaccinated perhaps. It was actually getting those doctors to tell their story in terms of, you know, this amount of people have been vaccinated and this is the impact it's had on our community mm-hmm. or getting community leaders to stand up and say, right, yeah, I think it's really vital that we do this and these are the reasons. And those are the things that you can't, like, you can't, buy you mm-hmm. can't you know give somebody a script and then get them to read it and go they, they, it has to come from the heart and I mm-hmm. think that where it's been interesting is when we've done campaigns like that to see the uplift yeah. in terms of you know uptake it's just brilliant and it's just looking and being able to then have that data that backs up what you did to say well we did this and here's a data that shows Mm -hmm. you know it's had that uplift so next time we should do that again yeah that's interesting that you say kind of the difficulty with sometimes getting people on board because I have actually spoken to people within our community before and they say not necessarily in the same capacity but it's so difficult sometimes to get people on board with your ideas or that sort of thing is there any advice that you would have for people who maybe are in that position need people to get on board even if it's more in a like a customer testimonial point of view or something more like what you were saying taking it out and for more of a public sector position? I think it's a really hard one getting people on board. I think um, it's something that I I really struggle with sometimes Mm -hmm. because, like, you've got your ideas and I I always kind of freeze up if you've got your idea and you're trying to sell it to a massive group. Mm. And I always think that the best thing you can do is get some allies on side. So talk to maybe one or two people, bounce some ideas with them, to tell them to be really honest with you. And then... If you can get buy-in from a couple of people, get buy-in from a couple of more. So when you're doing it to a big place, you know that there are people out there that agreed with you at the starting. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel so so daunting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think sometimes we're a bit afraid of failure. You know, some ideas are just not good ones. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing because I think having those bad ideas or having those flops help you kind of, identify where where it went wrong so next time you can do it better Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that we you know don't get ourselves in a position where we're always thinking about perfection Mm -hmm. I think especially with marketing sometimes it's just not about perfection it's about you know putting it out there sometimes it will work sometimes it won't The, the 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 environment you know one thing on one day would just do really well and then the next day it could be an absolute flop yeah I think I said that recently something similar the fact that you know 
I was talking specifically more about like social media and strategy and stuff. And it, I think it can get quite disheartening when you put something, a lot of time into something and then it is a failure. So I think that's why sometimes people don't want to admit oh, gosh, to themselves yeah. that it was a failure because they've put so much time and effort into things. But there's been things before that I've tried, you know, strategy wise, campaign wise that haven't done very well. And you've got to sit there. And I think my biggest thing that I've learned is like self-reflection absolutely just reflecting on not even self-reflection but just reflection in general as that you know you sit there and you think okay what did we do how can we make that better and there's always things to improve even if it is a success you know there'll be kind of things in there that maybe could have went better or something like that and I think the same is with any campaign any strategy but people do get themselves down about it which you know isn't the best thing to do yeah I think it's a bit of both though isn't it because if you're doing campaigns if you're doing strategy evaluation needs to be an important part of that like process you can't Mm. do a campaign without doing some evaluation Mm. so it's it I think if you make that part of the process so you're always doing evaluation you'll always have that insight in in your back pocket and I think insight is just so important yeah can't do a strategy can't do a plan without insight yeah I think people forget to do evaluation a lot of the time now especially people who are kind of maybe one person bands you know we we have a lot of people in our community that don't have a huge team and they're just on their own and it's hard to kind of keep up to date with everything that's going on and also do like tracking reporting you know evaluating um so I think it's it's kind of nice to hear that that's a a big thing like within it but how would you say maybe if you are someone who doesn't have a massive team maybe one person on their own or a few people how would you say is the most effective way to evaluate maybe a campaign or a strategy in in a way that doesn't kind of take too long but is still effective yeah so I'd say that it's important to put value on evaluation (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, mainly because that will help you you know, in terms of being able to celebrate yourself. I think so much, um, I know when I was doing the, the work um, for my husband, I was a one man, one, one woman band. <laughs> and actually having that time of reflection and saying, this is what I've done for you, client, and this is how it's looked, and being able to pull it all on one page kind of gave myself a bit of a pattern back as well. I was like, gosh, yeah, this is everything that I've done. <laughs> but then it also helps you to sell yourself again so if you've got your valuation you can go right at the starting of the process I agreed to get a 20% uplift on your sales as you can see here after the process it's gone up by 40 Mm -hmm. and then you can use that to say and if we want to continue this there are some ideas that I've got and we could look to maybe do it further so you Mm -hmm. use it as a hook to kind of keep the business going really yeah Um, I say that that's kind of the way to incentivize in, in doing evaluation but if you're thinking about it at your objectives time as well it's important as well Mm -hmm. so when you're coming up with the objectives think in the back of your mind right how am I going to demonstrate I've achieved this because that's what you want to do I think for me I'm very process driven I like to know that once I finish that campaign and these are the things that we set out to do and this is what we did and also from another point of view you can use all that information compile it pull it in a um, maybe an award entry mm-hmm. you know in terms of of doing it that way so it's it's I know it's hard I believe me I realize it's hard but it's just trying to put a little bit of investment into that so I'd love to chat a little bit about the 
things that you've worked on maybe in the past you've obviously got a wealth of experience um things that you worked on in the past that you're particularly proud of why maybe they were successful to you what made them successful because I think you know a lot of people kind of get themselves down when they they've been successful or done something what is something that you've done within your years of experience that you are really proud of and you'd like to share I think that um I know you've been saying about how many years I've been like working in comms and it's just so weird when I think about it like how long I've been there and I think throughout my career there are like bits that I, I think about and I'm like oh I'm absolutely amazed, you know, really proud of that. I think from my from my ASDA days, um, really proud of the work that we did at Christmas mm-hmm. using data. So um, there was a story where I worked on, um, you know, like kind of over Christmas period, we would use that amount of foil, enough foil to wrap around, mm-hmm. you know, um, not the earth, but something like that. Those yeah. are kind of that facts. And it was just literally going in, getting those together um, and pulling all of that data. Um, and that story ended up being on the BBC, which was brilliant, BBC Breakfast News. So it was like really cool. And I got to get to Asta and like kind of, like kind of work with the team to make sure that they did it. So that was brilliant. I'd say that um, when I worked for like kind of connecting for health or health or HSCIC, I'd say when I worked back in the press office, there's a bit of a pattern here in terms of press office things. <laughs> um, it was really lovely because the data stories that we did were really impactful. We mm. were able to talk about some really important topics. I think I touched on this in the social north thing. So things like self-harm figures that mm. we were able to get, um, prescribing data. So to be able to get an area where we could talk about the rise in antidepressants. I think um, being able to look at workforce figures. Mm-hmm. One of the first stories that I worked on was the rise in um, female GPs. Mm-hmm. So that that was really interesting. And then I'd say that as my career progressed, I obviously moved up. So it was less around doing the stories and more around coming up with the strategy. So it kind of feels like in a way there's less of the actual actively doing things mm-hmm but more on the kind of setting the tone and setting the strategic direction and trying to be hands off mm-hmm. and kind of let the team kind of get on with things and being able to be there and more an advisory, this is what you need to be doing. And I think, especially in my world that I'm in now, there's a lot of that that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of directing the team and saying, right, these are the things that we need to be looking at. These are the points we need to be doing, making sure we've got the insight. How can we make sure that we're, we've got the data that we're using and we're effectively putting it to, to work in, in, in the stories mm-hmm. um, and the activities that we're doing? So it kind of feels a bit weird when yeah. I think about it because, like, when I think through my career, like, it's more hands-off, hands-off, hands-off. Mm-hmm. I'd say as well, um, one of the one areas of marketing that I am extremely proud of um is my company that I had for a couple of years really nice food Mm -hmm. so that came from me wanting to do a bit of branding work um and I was able to pull that together so think about what I wanted to do I thought sources made a lot of sense created my own source went to market was able to get a taste award Mm -hmm. in 2016 for it so that was kind of from inception you know an idea of what I had in my mind of what I wanted to do development brand development um and then you know taking it to market Mm -hmm. and I would have loved to have carried it on but I had 
I had to swap my source baby for my real baby. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I could always come back to yeah. and get a later date. Yeah. What type of sauce was it? So it was three different types of sauce. Yeah. So it's three hot sauces. So there was a sweet chilli one, Ooh. a barbecue one, and a kind of mango and scotch bonnet one, which mm. was the one that won the Taste Award. Yeah. Um, I think my partner was absolutely love that because he loves like hot sauces i'm not a massive hot sauce fan but i'd probably try maybe like the sweet chili in the barbecue yeah scotch bond it does i'm not sure because that's quite hot isn't it it is but do you know what a lot of people were like oh scotch bonnet's gonna be really hot but i think the thing about scotch bonnet's really fruity yeah and then it kind of offsets the mango okay yeah so you know do you know what if you were to have it but to mix it with a bit of mayonnaise yeah you'd love it don't knock it till you try it. Mm-hmm. Um, so just before we finish up, thank you so much for coming on today. I just want to ask you, what piece of advice would you give to yourself if you were just getting started in the industry? You've got all this experience now and you've learned a lot. You've done a lot. What would advice would you give to your kind of previous self from, you know, however many years ago? I'd say that um, the first bit would be to to be bold. Mm-hmm. I think that it's really important that you set your intentions in terms of what it is that you want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, be curious. Be really curious. I think, especially now, there's so much, like, avenues and different elements of, of marketing. And you don't necessarily need to go down the, the nine-to-five route, you know, you you know the stuff that you've done, Livia, is is a is a is like a real prime example of that. Really, mm-hmm. you know, I love seeing that people are going down different routes and not maybe going down the traditional route. Mm-hmm. And you know, I say the main thing is just don't let anybody tell you, you know, what you can and can't do. I think that's really important. Is you know sometimes it's having that a bit of self belief that you are worthy and that you are doing a great job, and you know seek out seek out cheerleaders mm-hmm. seek out people that are will be there to support you be able to give you advice be able to bounce ideas off like i've got so many different whatsapp groups um of like comms colleagues that i'll send them you know we all like kind of will put a whatsapp message in and go um this is what we're looking at doing what do you think and we'll just have like a bit of a, a comms chat about it and i yeah. think that's so important is to like bring your community together and find your tribes mm-hmm that's yeah, so nice thank you so much for coming on oh, today thank you for having me I it's really appreciate it to you, yeah. <laughs> right that marks the end of another great episode we really hope you enjoyed tuning in today and if you did please share with your friends rate us on apple Podcasts follow us on spotify and watch the video version on youtube we've got so many exciting things coming so we really love for you to get involved see you soon